We back in the virtual trap house with your boy King Sick. Today we're going to talk about being on code and what being on code means and what that's going to mean for black people in 2020. If you're ready to get on code, get down with your boy King Sick. Make sure you go over to YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel at King Sick. There's some music content. There's also some videos that I've been posting online with political and historical content specifically for you black people. I hope everybody is ready. 2020 is a special year. Uh, we definitely don't want to lose the opportunity to take advantage of this year because if you haven't noticed black people, you are very, very powerful. All of the microaggressions and attacks against black people all across this country are evidence of how extremely powerful you are as a people, even though you still only make up what they say on their numbers. A very small percentage of the population of the United States of America, somewhere under 15%. And so when you consider there are 300 and something million people who live in the United States of America, that doesn't mean very many of them look like you. But look at the influence you have. Watch when the NFL games are played on Sundays and the basketball games are played on Thursdays and Saturdays and Tuesdays on TNT. Look and see who those young brothers are, right? They look just like the dude that come from down the street in your neighborhood. If he is not the brother who comes from your block, because these brothers all come from the same places we do. Our rappers and ball players oftentimes are friends, family members, cousins, relatives of people who share the exact same experience and you listen to the young rappers tell you what's going on in these streets out here black america so it's time to wake up we can't act like we don't know what's going on on our block welcome to the virtual trap house man and i just want to take everybody back a little ways and uh you know really just share some information with the people so everybody really can understand exactly what we're happening what is happening excuse me here in 2020 so we have a presidential election that is obviously getting lots of news coverage and you can see that for the first time in a while this this race is shaping up to be white billionaire male against white billionaire male alpha male versus alpha male and then of course you have bernie sanders and so when you think about bernie sanders um, you definitely think about somebody who sells himself as the social justice candidate, right? He sells himself as the man of the people. And so you have to ask yourself, okay, Mr. Man of the People, exactly what is your record for doing anything for the people? Because a lot of times we talk about Bernie Sanders, but folks don't ever bring up Bernie Sanders' record. Exactly what is it? that Bernie Sanders has done for people that should really be um, his calling card. It should be the thing when he walks to the room, he says, I have done this. This is the measured result of my policy because I'm old and gray as hell. And if I can't bring you some numbers and data, statistics, something that I have actually done tangibly to have a measurable positive impact in the black community, then I'm just talking. So I think people really need to understand, um, you know, what a pop, excuse me, what a politician is, right? And so a politician, when you take that word and you break it down, you know, policy is the root of 
a politician. You see, there is no politician without policy. And so when we look at what Bernie Sanders' record is with black people, you know, kind of like what are the Cleveland Browns' record with Bert, with Baker Mayfield? They're a decent team. Eh? You could never really count them out of a game before the game starts. And if you saw that the Browns beat whoever, you you wouldn't really be surprised, surprised, because they seem to have a lot of pieces, a lot of great players on their team. Now, have they worked and played together like a team? No. Not since the end of the rookie season for book for Baker Mayfield when, you know, they obviously won games where they hadn't in a long time. And so the point is with Bernie Sanders, we have to look at his record and see what he's doing for the people. Or do you look good on paper like the Cleveland Browns or have you found a way to produce like the Kansas City Chiefs? So when you look at Vermont, where Mr. Sanders is from, he's an independent from Vermont. And this is 2018 data, and it says that Vermont's population is 626,299 people. This is a very, very small people, right? And so when you ask, what is the percentage of black Vermonters? <laughs> this is where it gets really interesting. And 96.2 percent. As of 2007, so these numbers are a little bit old that I'm pulling up right now on my phone, just kind of grabbing them um, as I go. And so quite a little while ago, 13 years ago, Vermont was 96.2% white. Now let's look at more recent numbers. Let's see here. Um, what percentage of Vermont is black? Oh my goodness. That would be 1.4% of the entire population is black or African-American alone. So, you know, there's also a really interesting statistic that shows that Bernie Sanders uh, in his district has more black men who are incarcerated in prison than are working full-time jobs. So you haven't created jobs in your own home district. Now, okay, we'll give you the fact that Vermont is... Um, obviously melanin deficient. Now, what is it that you've done on a national stage in terms of um, politics and in terms of doing something to essentially target black people uh, in policy? Because you see, the most dishonest part about politics today is that we will discuss things like reparations, Jim Crow, redlining, all of the prohibitive financial and economic strategies that were launched against black people solely for the fact that they were black. You know, it, it gets lost on us that no one is ballsy enough to stand behind a policy and say this one is strictly for those folks who went through that turmoil. They went through that part of America's uh, injustice system. And so, if the justice system in the United States of America is still disproportionately incarcerating African-American men, if our nation is still in a position where we essentially uh, have not rectified things with African-Americans, and you can look at these numbers and data points all day long, and you will see nothing except a bottom caste people 
who sit at the very bottom of all economic data in America. Now, this is in contrast to when you see how things are marketed and sold to the general public. For people who make up less than 15% of the population and who have 2.6% of all the total wealth in a country. So you're this, you're this little, small, minute group of people to a large degree. 13 to 14% is not a lot of people uh, in a nation of 300 million plus, And 2.6% of all the wealth in the land is, you know, by all accounts, some seven times less than your population itself. So the wealth that you hold is not commiserate with the amount of people that you have. And the amount of people that you have are not enough to, to necessarily constitute a numerical majority in a democracy or a republic. Take your pick. So how do a people like these people we call black people in America, how can you thrive? How do you thrive? You can't thrive when politicians are scared to pass policy that would have a specific benefit to you. That's called being pimped. That's called being conned, hoodwinked, led astray, bamboozled. You understand the terminology here. So the point is this, when an election rolls around, I think too often black folks are uh, encouraged to use emotion as a guide for their political decision making. And if you watch the way that black folks are pandered to, uh, even Donald Trump in the Super Bowl had the commercial of the sister who was locked up for all these crimes and she was released and she wanted to thank Donald Trump and they had a commercial for her during the Super Bowl. And I was like, wow, okay. That was a lot, you know, but at the end of the day, you always have to judge a thing by, is it symbolic, ceremonial, or does it actually move the needle? So this one sister getting out of prison obviously doesn't move the needle for uh, an entire race of people. It's symbolic and it's ceremonial. Now, not to that sister and her family, because obviously that small circle of people uh, wanted to see her released. And so good for them. But at the same time, we have to stop counting our victories as wins that have been um, amplified by the propaganda arm of white supremacy, aka the white media, all the channels, Fox, MSNBC, NBC, ABC, CBS, they're all the same entity to me. Um, and I think that we need to take um, a page out of the Bernie Sanders playbook. And what Mr. Bernie has been able to do is he's been able to vote for measures and policies like the 1994 crime bill, but still build himself as a candidate for the people. Um, you look at Miss Elizabeth Warren, she lied about being a minority, about being a native, and she's from my home state of Oklahoma, and she used that to her advantage. And I've seen the con play. I've seen white folks in my home state of Oklahoma play the con game of the Indian citizenship to the tune of free health care, um, monies, access to wealth, 
access to programs, access to education, and all the while in the social realm that is Oklahoma, these are people that doors are not closed to because of the color of their skin, right? And so you can even look at some of the chiefs of the tribes uh, today now, and you would be hard pressed unless they were, if they were not wearing Indian style clothing or, or something that would indicate that they are or claiming to be from a native tribe, you would look at these people and think they were a white supremacist. And so it's, it's very laughable um, the way that we have intellectually, you know, sort of pulled the wool over the eyes of not only the black citizen, but specifically the black voter, because there was a time when they would try to beat you and kill you to keep you from voting. And now they beg you to go to the polls. And at the end of the day, if you look at the economic conditions of black people in America, the result is much the same. Them keeping you from the polls, you were poor, you were criminalized uh, disproportionately, you were demonized in the public and in the media, um, and you were not granted the, you know, sort of the free access to all that is American capitalism. And sure, there will always be examples of brothers who either make it uh, through the system or they are people who are allowed to make it through the system. And I think that, you know, we have to, as black people, begin to, you know, sort of increase our uh, awareness of the different strategies and methodologies that are employed against us. And one of those that are the most troubling uh, that I'll be dealing in in one of my future podcasts very soon is controlled opposition. And I don't think that people truly understand the nature of the game that is controlled opposition. But I think if people did begin to understand the nature of the game that's called controlled opposition, then they would really, really be better prepared to vote, um, to not vote when it's time to not vote, and most importantly, not have any emotional um, sort of attitude or commentary about any of these political candidates. As soon as your response is something emotional, they got you. Um, I think we place far too much emphasis on voting uh, and not enough emphasis on the bricks and mortar homes and communities that we live in. If we had the same amount of discussions over whether this white candidate or this black candidate or this candidate here or this conservative or this liberal was going to do something for our communities that we can absolutely get outside of our doors right now and go do. We can step outside of our doors and put together our shovels and our lawnmowers and our leftover uh, paint uh, and our leftover uh, tiles and, and roofing supplies, nails, wood, whatever it takes. We go to church every Sunday in our churches and we give uh, an estimated $500 million in tithes to the black church each week. Now, where does this Jesus money go on Monday mornings? Well, it goes into the white banks. Okay. And so when you understand how the white bank operates, this, this capitalist system that we have operates very quickly, the $500 million that is deposited into the bank, and not to say that all that is tithed is deposited. Obviously, surely some money goes directly to needs, whether they are good or bad. And I don't want to get into the, you know, the specifics of that. But just for the sake of the accounting uh, of the money, we'll just say that, you know, the $500 million is deposited directly into the bank. Okay. And so the laws in this country say that $50 million of that money must remain uh, in an account at the bank in order to 
uh, suffice for withdrawals. This is what you call real reserve. Now, obviously, if they receive withdrawals in excess of that $50 million, then that's when FDIC comes in and protects them um, from essentially bank foreclosure, as long as their accounting methods um, are up to snuff, so to speak. Right. And so this is called real reserve. 10% of all the money deposited into a bank must remain in an account to cover any withdrawals in the bank. Now, see, here's the beauty of it is when you get this money in the bank and then they loan it out. And let's just say I am a member of a bank that a black church donates. I said donates, deposits, it might as well say donates, deposits their money into on Monday. I am a white member of this bank in good standing with the bank. Um, and I come in to get a million dollar loan. I get this million dollar loan. And where does the money go? Do I take the million dollars home with me? No, of course. I leave the money in the bank, either in an account or I create and establish a new account specifically for this monies. And so when this money goes into the bank, guess what happens? That million dollars, the bank has to keep $100,000 of the million and that $900,000 is then loaned out again. The same black Jesus money. So I think people really need to take a step back, look at the condition of our community in 2020. I'll be keeping my ear to the ground on Twitter and Facebook, listening to what the people have to say, because I want to open the discussion up um, and, and allow other people to kind of control the narrative. I don't want to just be a talking head that sits back and, and, and discusses what I want to discuss and say what I want to say. So with that, this is the end of the road for today. But I definitely want everybody to uh, be on the lookout for future episodes of this podcast. 2020 election season is heating up and there's a lot to discuss. There's a lot I want to share with you folks. And there's a lot that I want to hear back from the people. So with that said, peace and love, family. 